Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Stephen. Hello. <laughs> How's it going, Stephen? Good. So today, I'm very excited. We're doing a deep dive into my favorite style, and that's the stout. I had to throw you a bone, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this episode for a while. Well, I learned a lot, too. I learned I only like like the narrowest sliver of the stout style the most modern interpretation so we're gonna go to the history and it's been a good learning process and as usual every time we do an episode where you have to do research i then want to go drink like 10 beers that i know i've had but didn't fully appreciate what they were so it's good it's been a fun exercise but before we get into any of that we have to do the best part of the podcast drinking beer i hope you're drinking a stout today i am (laughs) (laughs) so I will introduce my beer, give some nose notes, and then I'll pass it over to Stephen. So today I'm drinking Cherry Bomb from Prairie Artisan Ales. I and almost this... picked that beer. Wait, did you really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Ooh, we should have talked about our beers, but yeah, I didn't. Get coordinated. Someday we'll have to do the same beer. That'll be fun. Yeah. So this is a 11.5% Imperial Stout, and it is aged on cherries, coffee, cacao, vanilla, and chili peppers. So I'm hoping this will be very good. So it's pouring my favorite color, jet black. (laughs) And there's actually not very much head. Very minimal, quickly dissipating. It actually looks like kind of carbonation. You see like if you poured a Coca-Cola or something like that. Now, have you had this before? No. Oh, okay. I never had this before, so I'm very excited. Have Have you had the original bomb? Yes. Okay. Oh, so that's what this is. That the cherry version of the bomb. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, the nose is awesome. Yeah, I'm getting cherry chocolate and vanilla right away. And a little bit of a boozy note and a real dark malt. Okay, I'm liking how this is shaping up. I'm going to pass it to you while I take some tasting notes. All right, this one I've been waiting for for a very long time. And I just decided, like, why not do this on the podcast? Just because that's what this is for, right? So... What are you uh, busting out? <laughs> so I'm busting out Anchorage Brewing Darkest Hour. I've been cellaring this since 2017. So it's about three years, almost four years. Oh my which, goodness. Which is about the max amount of time they say you should cellar it. So it's time anyway. It's destiny has arrived. I can't believe you're opening this. So I <laughs> I remember this is at your house before you moved. <laughs> That's a whole this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've seen this. I've held this bottle in my hands. Yeah. This is a um, Imperial Stout aged in whiskey barrels. It's a 13% 40 IBU Imperial Stout. This is the December 2016 bottling. I'm going to pour it into my fancy little uh, Pliny the Younger glass. Holy crap. This is super dark. I can smell it. Like I'm arm's length away and I can smell it. Ooh, I can see it. Very little head. What head there was, it, it dissipated quickly, but what head there was, it was like a dark brown head. Definitely getting the whiskey notes, chocolate and vanilla, and a very prominent, like, dark fruit fig. Nice. Yeah. All right. There we go. It looks like you were enjoying yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was smiling a lot. Yeah, I really <laughs> like this one. So it's, the entrance is, it's it's like dark malt and chocolate and then there's a little bit of it. it's almost like espresso like very strong coffee and then all of a sudden it's just sweet cherry like maraschino cherry it's almost like cherry cough syrup a little bit because it's a little boozy for a second and i love <laughs> i love the taste of like a uh, cough syrup so that that's not a bad thing in this case <laughs> it's like a sweet cherry then there's like a little hint of vanilla and then it's a little bit dry on the finish and for me that's kind of when the um chocolate's coming in like a really dark like a baker's chocolate not a sweet chocolate at all and then there's just like a slight heat throughout from the chilies 
but the fact that this is 11.5%, you don't really taste the alcohol at all. So I really appreciate that aspect of it too. This is really good. If you like um, cherry, because I feel like cherry is primarily what's coming through. I mean, it is called cherry bomb, but if you like cherry in your stout, which I very much do, thumbs up definitely on this one. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty happy right now. <laughs> I think this is going to be one of our most eventful tastings ever. <laughs> Just the so, complexity of the beers we picked. Yeah. So tell me, I'm very excited to hear about this darkest hour. Okay, this is amazing. Uh, probably, I would say, the most complex beer I've ever consumed. Very sweet chocolate entrance. And then this, like, sort of fruity, like, port wine, sherry kind of flavor. It's very sweet at first. Um, with Yeah, with the sweet chocolate and the sweet figgy, fruity port wine flavors. And then, uh, and then it kind of turns more bitter chocolate. And then it leaves this, like, crazy burnt wood campfire flavor in the back. It's like I know that sounds weird, but that's the that's the whiskey barrel. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's this charred wood flavor. There's no alcohol burn at all. Really? And what, isn't like, this what percentage is this again? Thirteen and a half. That's incredible. Yeah, the alcohol, and that's probably a um, a result of the aging too, because that mm. usually uh, rounds off the alcohol bit that's of sharpness right. a little bit. And I think that's also what's give what's it sort of that turns into more of that like port wine cherry characteristics um so that's kind of where you like you're feeling the alcohol as if you're drinking like a strong wine but it's not that like whiskey burn uh that you might expect from like a whiskey barrel aged beer and yeah and then it just like leaves your mouth very dry like a dry bitterness with from that like it's like it burns off (laughs) you know like the roasted (laughs) wood like just sort of burns all that off and then it just leaves you that um almost like a coffee bitterness in the in the mouth it's incredible i can see you're giving in you're giving into the dark side steven i'm gonna make a stout a stout drinker uh, you're gonna abandon all other styles <laughs> i definitely am appreciating the style more these days and yeah. just because so let me tell you let me give you a quick quote that i pulled uh out of my research okay today that says Stouts are immediately welcoming to the novice and eternally rewarding to the connoisseur. And I it's love it. so true. Like, yeah, you're talking about like just roasted chocolate malts, like especially we're going to talk about porters and stouts. Mm-hmm. Like porters very much like a, um, a great like entryway into dark beers. Um, but then if you really want to get into the style and really parse out flavors, these are the beers that you can do that with. I mean, Definitely IPAs have their moments, and I've had some, especially like, you know, Pliny the Younger and Amazing Triple IPAs that you can sit a little bit with and dissect, but nothing like this. Like This is like the way the flavors rise and fall throughout one taste of this beer. It's incredible. Yeah, to me, that's always been, it's kind of my main draw to the style is the complexity and like even in the first couple sips, sometimes you don't even know what's happening. <laughs> and you got to like, OK, I'm just going to focus on the entrance and see what I taste. And then I'm just going to focus on development and see what I taste. And it sounds so stupid, but if you're listening to a beer podcast, I, I think I can get away with it. But you're like building a relationship, you know, with the beer. And they talk a lot that, about that, too, like because it has a lot of crossover with like single malt scotch, like a very complex bottle of single malt scotch. You like building a relationship with it because you got to taste it many, many times to try to totally understand. And then the other thing you're going to notice, too, that I really appreciate, and this is actually true of IPAs. It's true of probably all beers, but it, I, I notice it the most in, like, these huge barrel-aged stouts is as the beer warms up, too, you'll start to taste different things. It'll The um, flavor profile just changes as it warms. And generally, you don't want these to be super cold. You want them to warm up a little bit out of the fridge, so... Yeah, yeah, this one I I it was not in the fridge because it was I was cellaring it. Okay. So this one I threw in the fridge about uh, about an hour hour and a half ago. Um, so it just cool it down. Yeah, that's perfect because yeah. you don't want them to be super super cold. Like, and I keep my fridge really really cold. So. I can't even um, imagine drinking this cold, honestly. Really you just cold. it it it'll mute a lot of the flavors. Um, so to it won't. 
and as it warms up, they kind of start to express themselves. So cool. I'm really excited that you like that. Um, okay, cool. So that was our drinking beer segment. And then you have this exciting beer news. I'm very jealous. And also, I was jealous because one, you were texting me. So I was jealous. And then two, I was jealous because all the pictures on Instagram. <laughs> so do you want to tell us a little bit about your most recent trip? Yeah, I apologize, buddy. The problem is uh, <laughs> you're the only one that like understands what I'm going through while I'm and like the excitement that I have. So, uh, you know, my wife would also understand the excitement. She's there with me. So uh, I just needed someone else to tell. No, I apologize I was, for I making living, you jealous. I was, with all my <laughs> <laughs> I was living vicariously through you, but I was also super jealous. But yeah, so my wife and I took a little trip to Denver. We visited a bunch of different breweries. We have experienced Denver multiple times, uh, you know, me and you with the beer festival, and it's very fun. And some of these breweries do come down to the festival, but I've always wanted to get up into northern Denver, into some of the suburbs, and go to some of these breweries that I have come to very much respect and love from afar. So that's always intimidating for me to go to the actual brewery. And we've talked about this like in our when we talked about, had our like beer stories or we talked about um you know going to a brewery and sort of being underwhelmed a little bit because it's just so exciting but i have to say new belgium did not disappoint mostly because the tapless was just ridiculous i mean i knew going in that they had all of their what they used to call lips of faith series on tap so transatlantic creek uh le terroir and la folie um la folie is the the flanders red or Oud de Brown, I think. I don't know, some, yeah, somewhere right on that, like, yeah, on that reddish brown sour spectrum. And then Transatlantic Creek, we talked about it in the Lambic episode as being sort of one of the, like, really authentic Lambics that you can get because they do brew it in Belgium and then they bring it over and they mix it with their golden sour. And it was just, it was incredible. And then, of course, and, and my favorite by far was Le Terroir, which is a hoppy sour, and we've talked about that too, where it's just like how it hits every single note of a beer that I, like what I want in a beer. I was just sitting there. I mean, all I could say was I want to drink this all day, every day. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's just, it's like sweet and sour and hoppy and dry. It's just, oh my gosh, it's just stupid. It's so good. Yeah, so that was that's it would exciting. also be a very expensive beer to drink all day. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> exciting, though, because a lot of times, yeah, we talked about it before, it's like sometimes the underwhelming part of when you go to a brewery is they don't make, they don't have the real special stuff that you want to find. But it sounds like not only did they have the special stuff, but they had all, all the special stuff. So you're getting to drink it like right there on tap. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And had, you had the full appreciation of the understanding of like the Transatlantic Creek. Yeah. I had a new understanding, a new appreciation for all those styles. It's really cool. And then they had a couple other cherry beers. Um, the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, Jason would be <laughs> dying right now. Like so much cherry. Uh, and they all were um, very good and complex. And there was one that was very like sort of almondy and leather with the cherry, which is incredible. And then Another one that was uh, aged in cherry whiskey barrels. I mean, it, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't too strong, but the cherry came out so well. It was just uh, just ridiculous. And my wife loves Fat Tire Amber Ale, so she was in heaven as well because Fat Tire on tap is pretty awesome. It's a good one. So then we uh, also made stops at Verboten Brewing, which uh, made my top ten list with their Rollins of Watermelons, Watermelon Goza, that just amazingly released the day we got there. And I didn't know that that was happening. So to walk in there thinking they weren't going to have that beer because I had been watching Instagram and, and wa- looking at their tap list and I hadn't seen it. And then walking in there and looking up at the tap list and seeing it, I was just, I, I was a little kid. <laughs> the beer gods smiled on your trip, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. So I got to I try that. I can't believe you went in the first day. They were pouring it. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So I got to not only drink my one of my favorite beers of all time, but also bring some home. Perfect. And uh, <laughs> they had this beer fridge where you could grab four packs, and there were like two left. And I was like, we need to get one of those. Like, get one. Go get one. 
And so Jill went and grabbed it, and he was like, oh, do you want to just keep that in the fridge, like, until you leave? And we're like, that, what what fridge? And he was like, yeah, just put it back in that fridge. And we're like, no, no. No, what if it gets? What if, he's, <laughs> no he's, he's like, I promise we have multiple cases in the back here, uh, okay? Uh, okay. <laughs> I thought for sure it was like the last one. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it back either. I'm like, dude, I need this. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. So I got to bring some of that home. Uh, and then the next day, we tried a, another brewery that night. Actually, it's called Mash Lab. It was a recommendation from the people at Verboten. That was great food, great beer. It was fun. Um, but the next day was Greeley, Colorado, where we went to Weldworks, which lived up to my expectations. That again, it was another one where I was like very excited but hesitant because I just didn't know if it was going to be as good as I thought. And it, it was. I mean, the beer list is ridiculous. They're sours. <sighs> I drink a lot of sours on this trip. Theirs were unbelievable. I mean, the way that they put flavors together and the level of sourness is like per- they have it dialed in exactly. So it's like I'm, you know you're drinking something sour, but it's not it's not a weird sour. It's not an overwhelming sour. And the flavors that they use, there was one that was a PB and J sour. It was like um, <laughs> I can't remember I'm the fruits. Very skeptical. Of that. <laughs> yeah, but it was like I can't remember exactly what fruits they used, but um. And you know it was brewed with peanuts as well, and it was just it was ridiculous. Like the nut flavor was just a nice finish. Like it wasn't gimmicky or stupid. It was just so good. They just blew me away. So uh, and of course their IPAs blew me away too. They had a collaboration with the other half that was oh, just nice. the triple IPA, ten point three percent, and it was so smooth and but really dank and resiny. Oh. It's ridiculous. And then we also tried Wiley Roots, which is just around the corner from Weldworks. And I had never had a beer from them, uh, but their tap list was just this like huge long list of smoothie sours and fruit sours. And they had uh, soft serve ice cream made out of their smoothie sours. Interesting. How was that? Did you try the ice cream? Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Did it taste like sour beer? <laughs> Tasted like sour beer. It's really weird to like look up at the um the menu and have like soft serve on the menu and then have an ABV next to it. <laughs> <laughs> Alcoholic ice cream, nice. Yeah. So they had like they had the soft serve and then they also had like a frozen slushy version of some of their beers, and then they had just like their fruited sours and their smoothie sours and. Oh, it was so good. I had a watermelon limeade sour. That was the one I drank, and then I ate the ice cream and. It was really fun. I bought a lot of beer from them just because <laughs> nice. they were fun. And I have a lot of coworkers who like the smoothie sours. So I bought a bunch of those so I could give them away at work. The beer fairy is coming. Yeah, I had to give back, you know. I know, your friends have been Because I've been given so much, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and that was about it for our beer drinking. We went to the Rockies game. We had to knock out another baseball stadium while we were there. What's your? Do you know off the top of your head what your count is at? Uh, I don't. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I know. I'm not That's sure. Okay. Probably like 12 or 13. Almost nice. halfway there. Yeah. Nice. All right, cool. Well, uh, I'll ask you one last question about your trip. So what oh. was your favorite of all the breweries you visited? Breweries or beers? Breweries. Weldworks. Okay. Oh, nice. I thought I would. Ah, okay. I, I was either that or New Belgium. That was my guess. Yeah, New Belgium was amazing. It was a great experience, but Weldworks beers are just something else. They're just something else. I just can't. All right. Well, we're going to, I want to go on this trip with you. <laughs> yeah, we'll just repeat yeah, it together. Let's repeat it next year. Yeah, let's do it. Sounds very fun. All right, cool. Well, are you ready to uh, jump into our main topic? Yeah, let's do it. So, stouts. We're deep diving into stouts. But the funny thing is, <laughs> to tell the story of the stout, we have to start with a different style of beer, and that's the porter. So yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe I'll kick us off. I think we did some similar research, but um, it's the turn of the 18th century, and brewers are starting to use brown malt. Now, brown malt, ironically, it's darker, but it takes less time to kiln. And what was interesting, too, is that when I learned in some of our researches, 
it's somewhat sometimes it's cheaper too it's it, they would just like roast it very quickly and it wasn't considered like special or good which you know that was kind of my preconceived notion yeah it was like the worst of the worst basically. yeah it was the worst <laughs> of the worst so they kind of had to like work around the fact that it was so bad so like one of the things they did was uh i don't even know how to pronounce this but uh party guile brewery so they would do so this is actually kind of common where um you can basically wash the grain and the first time you do that you're going to get a lot of sugar but then you can always wash it again you're not going to get as much sugar you might get a little less so that can be used for a lot of purposes but what they're doing in this this style is they would do multiple washes but then they would just mix them all back together which apparently wasn't that common before. Sometimes you take like the first wash and use it to do something, and then maybe you do something else with the second wash, but they're, they would mix it all together. And then they were also figuring out at the time that they could age this beer. And so they had these 108-gallon casks known as, I guess, butts. <laughs> yeah, butts. Butts. <laughs> and they would just leave it in there for like months, even years, to kind of mellow it out. Because this grain they were using was really sharp, it was really smoky, it was kind of harsh. So a couple things would happen as they aged it. They're mellowing it out, and it's taking on uh, flavors from the yeast that live in these casks. And then they're serving this in London, and it's getting very popular with workers, the workers who are unloading cargo. And they are known as porters. So... (laughs) Very quickly, or not very quickly, but eventually this this beer that they're enjoying that's dark and uh, somewhat harsh but mellowed out through this aging takes on the name Porter because that's who, the people that like to drink it. So that was fascinating. So that was the genesis of the name. I love stories like that. Yeah, it's like it makes sense. It almost respect. feels like it's made up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We live in a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like uh, some of those origin stories just don't seem real. But true, yeah. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So, yeah, so Porter's is where the story of Stout starts, which is interesting. But, yeah, um, so Porter's are becoming very popular. And they're also, as the ability to produce more and more is scaling up, they are starting to get exported. So they're exporting porter to all these other countries. And it's very popular there, too. And then, the thing that I was going to add, too. Is oh, yeah, like, go ahead. Uh, because they needed to be aged, it favored the, the more wealthy brewers because they were able to buy more space because you had to have space to put these in barrels and age them. And if you just didn't have that much space to do that, there was only a certain amount you could make every year. So some of the wealthier brewers really started to buy tons of real estate simply for aging their porters. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, yeah, in like anything you have to age, it's very expensive <laughs> because you need space to do it and you need time. And the only way you get time is by waiting. So and some of these are waiting years. So, yeah, you could see how it would favor, you know, this is it's starting to favor and you're starting to see larger scale production um, because they have the ability to have that space and commit those resources to time so yeah and then it's getting exported and the style is popular um so it starts to get copied in other countries which is very cool because whenever you have that style getting copied kind of like we talked about before in the past with like uh method traditional you know, you're copying the style, but it's obviously going to be different because the local ingredients are different and maybe you put your own little spin on it and someone else puts their own little spin on it. Water's different. You, yeah, water's different. So now you're getting this evolution of the style, which is really cool. So Let's in the see. I think in the yeah, late 1700s, they sort of figured out that they could cook the brown malt. They could cook it longer at a lower heat and then they would flash heat it at the end and then sort of like pop it like popcorn and the problem with that is that you got with this brown malt heated like this you got way less fermentable sugars so this is kind of where the they started realizing that they could use pale malts 
for the fermentable sugars and then the brown malts to give flavor and color. So where you're you're getting to the point where your recipe is like 80% pale malts and then the other 20s really where you're adding the color, the roasted flavors, the darker malts. And this is cheeky too because we've talked about this before, but beer brewing and like tax evasion have like a long <laughs> <laughs> yeah right like, romantic relationship with each other but like, so what are the laws of, and what are the loopholes exactly like how do we get around this but it's funny because they figured out like oh uh some of the taxation was based on how much of the base product they're putting in so they're figuring out all these ways to like we still want to make this like darker beer but is there a way we can do it where we pay a lot, like less taxes on it which is fascinating so that is what they started to figure out like oh we can use the pale malts and just add a little bit of the darker malts and that you still get the darker color and you still get the flavor um, but we're doing it like in a more efficient manner and so there therefore we pay less taxes on it which is pretty funny I like that we see that as a recurring theme. Yeah. (laughs) Humans always trying to (laughs) always trying to find find loopholes to paying taxes for sure. (laughs) (laughs) One of the other things I was reading was in 1817 was the uh, invention of the black malt, which was a very slowly kilned, but like at 400 degrees barley that has come to be uh, homebrewers are pretty familiar with the black molar it's called black patent malt because it's very common in home brews it's a quick way to give you a nice color like black color and roasted char to your stouts and you can use very very little and it's it's flavorful enough and harsh enough that you don't need very much to get those flavors with it so that was yes. another big, big step in the, the malt you know the grain bill the of grain bill. what was making yeah. up these spears yeah, so then it was interesting because around that time, I think we start to see the word stout arise, but they're using it as an affix. It's an adjective. So they're describing a porter. So they're saying this porter is strong. It's a stout porter. So it's still not quite its own style, I would say, but it's describing a stout. And the funny thing is names are very powerful. To name something is to have mastery over it in some way because you have an idea, you have an idea, you have a concept that you can then call in your mind. So I think, and this is a little bit of me projecting into the past, but by calling them stouts, you know, those tend to get stronger. And then you also saw this effect of like the porters that were not called stouts got a little bit weaker. So even just applying that name to the style started to separate them out, which is fascinating. So it's like the genesis of the style was almost the adjective used to describe it. So that's like the first time I think that they start using that word stout. And it reminds me a little bit of like imperial, like just means like strong. And that word kind of gets thrown around and double imperial and all that stuff. But here you have the word stout being applied to a porter. Yeah. And then that's sort of uh, where you got the divergence of the two styles. Yeah. And then it's cool, too, because you see really early on still like and now we do this in the modern era too but um they started to add milk sugar and oatmeal so that's kind of the genesis of like the oatmeal stout which is super popular now but right that that was just kind of them experimenting <laughs> well and then i think there was a lot of um there was this whole thing about doctors came out and said that like the stout was good for you and the <laughs> that it would like heal you and so they just started like advertising as like medicine basically and then they were adding like good things like sugar and made it sweet and oatmeal made it sweet and creamy and uh they were very much appealing to women they said at the time women drinkers so they were kind of trying to make it sweeter and lighter Uh, yeah totally well the because when you add the milk sugar um it said yeast can't consume lactose. So generally what happens right. is you get a slightly silkier and sweeter end product. So they're kind of marketing that towards like women. And yeah, I saw the same thing. Like they basically had a whole ad campaign that like Guinness is good for you. <laughs> it's so funny because like, I swear, like didn't the same thing happen with cigarettes? Like they were like, there's the whole like, yeah, and, like tea, cocaine T zone, like, Oh, it's good for your T zone. And like, 
It seems like every vice goes through an era where they pretend it's like a medicinal it's product. Yes, it's snake <laughs> oil. And they're like, oh, this is great. And not only is it uh, really fun to drink, it's it's good for you. And then eventually, you know, we have to, crack, we have to crack down on that. <laughs> it's actually not good for you. Um, yeah, it's really funny. So there's that whole, like... And yeah, Guinness had a, basically a whole ad campaign basically talking about how it's good for you, which was pretty funny to me. Yeah, it's amazing. And then I think uh, one of my other notes about it was that this divergence of style was regional. And so you had the English that were using the brown malt still. And then you had Irish stout where they started brewing it with just the black malt and no brown malt, uh, which is super interesting, but with like two very different end results because... One, you have that sort of use of pale malts with the brown malt. You get a lot more like caramel flavors, where the Irish were going like much harsher and drier with the with the charred black malts. Yeah, it's fascinating how like regional differences. And then I came across doing some research for this. They started talking about the first imperial stouts and kind of the genesis of that word and talking about how it got associated with the beer they were sending to Russia, and that's kind of the genesis of the Imperial. So it's like the 1780s, and there's beers being commissioned by Captain the Great, <laughs> which is pretty cool to think about. This is so like, awesome. Yeah, I love beer. that history of like leaders being so involved in like the alcohol trade mm-hmm. and alcohol brew process. So they're shipping it all over the world, and then they're shipping it to the you know to the to russia in the baltic region and it just gets those ones are just really really strong and they're saying you know it's kind of speculative of like oh they had to be strong for the journey to survive the journey but you know who knows i mean it's cold (laughs) so it doesn't really have to be strong to survive the journey but it's just that maybe they just really really like super strong stouts so, you know what I love, too, is that this was a, a hold that the English had over the American colonies for a while, too, because all they could grow in America was corn and potatoes and just couldn't make good beer out of those. And so they just they had to import porter and other good beers from England like for a long time. Oh, I didn't know I just, that. That's I fascinating. just love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, there was this great like recipe. It was like a beer recipe that they found in um like George Washington's writings, like some beer he made. I can't remember like exactly what it was, but like if you read it, you're just like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like no wonder they had to import their beer. <laughs> what were they making? <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, this yeah, it's hard. I don't know. There's not a lot of good corn beer these days, so no. <laughs> they had very limited uh, uh, base products, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's kind of like it's a similar story we've seen with the other styles of just each region kind of has its own style, which is really cool. Um, it, people have different preferences, and people just brew it different ways in different places. So you have a lot of different examples of stouts and porters, and some are dry, and some are sweet, and some are smooth, just based on what they're doing. Do uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we get into like the modern the era? Um, well, I guess I don't know. Maybe this will sort of transition into that. But it is interesting um, from reading about the evolution of this beer, and it kind of follows the same route as all the other craft beer styles. Whereas where you got into World War era and beers, they went from being strong to weak, sort of following trends and following what, you know, what people liked at the time and marketing to people like, like I said, marketing to women, making things sweeter and, and lighter is what they were doing at the time. And then to try and see that sort of resurgence of coming back in, as we as we now sort of have resurrected craft beer in the modern times to more of its strong, you know, original roots. Well, that's a good point because, yeah, um, porters almost did die off <laughs> as a style um, right around that time, kind of what you were talking about. They started, a lot of brewers started to cheat. They were just coloring, 
trying to pass off bad beer as other styles and it it was very popular it controlled a lot of the market but it got a lot less popular and we've seen that kind of happen uh in some of the other deep dives we did where there's a really dominant style and then someone come something comes in from another region and kind of takes root and starts to displace the local style um but it seems like all that stuff is temporary it's just like fashion like <laughs> If you keep all your clothes long enough, they'll all come back into style. <laughs> <laughs> and the same is true, it seems, for beer styles as well. So after the, you know, after World War II and... Well, it was so the wars were so devastating to yeah so many breweries. And uh, it's something I've appreciated more and more is, like, just how lucky America was <laughs> in the World Wars. Because right? we didn't get bombed. So, I mean, obviously Pearl Harbor happened, but yeah, like... So many of these countries just got obliterated and everything got had to be, you know, restarted. It just didn't really happen to us. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get, I guess, yeah, we get into the modern era. So now, obviously, a very popular style now. Um, you see a lot of stouts, a lot of porters, and then a lot of barrel aging. And additions have become popular in a lot of styles like i think beforehand you know you might have a beer that you consider might be kind of chocolatey or something but um historically they weren't actually putting chocolate into beer but nowadays they put everything into beer (laughs) we put like just the beer head today i mean they're adding cherry cacao vanilla chili peppers there's a lot of additions yeah, and certainly, you know, vanilla and uh, licorice and cinnamon and uh, maple syrup. Uh, putting oat, uh, oatmeal cream pies into the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fermenting tank. <laughs> Oreos. I was just listening to another podcast where they were tasting uh, Oreo stout. And the guy was like, I think there's a chunk of Oreo in my beer <laughs> floating oh, wow. in the beer. <laughs> didn't filter it quite well enough. Yeah coconut toasted coconut is a common addition these days so i think anything where you take these flavors and wood flavors and and chocolate flavors and you can amp them up uh, peanut butter is another common one you know where you it just makes sense you know those flavor profiles make sense so they've started making and adding adjuncts to either boost those flavors or complement the flavors so what are some modern stouts that you would recommend i actually want to do the first recommendation i think a little bit complex but and i know i've mentioned this before but dragon's milk is a bourbon barrel aged stout and i think you can't really go wrong with that one (laughs) um might be a little a little rough if you're not used to the style but definitely something that uh can be appreciated by the beginner and the novice and it comes in a lot of variations, but if you just look for the regular Dragon's Milk, I know when we went to the beer festival, they had like every version of it. <laughs> and there's like vanilla and cinnamon, I think. And the banana one was my favorite. Banana, that's right. Banana was ridiculously good. Yeah, yeah. I think it, if you're talking about a barrel-aged stout, that's about as gateway as it gets, you know, because you can drink milk stout stouts that aren't, aren't aged in any kind of barrel and, and those are ga- good gateways but if you're talking just straight you know how to get in how to then sort of transition into barrel aged stuff i think dragon's milk is a great way to do that and also available right widely available and i guess i should say guinness too oh of course yeah, yeah. Because then you're actually like linking yourself to the history that we just talked about because Guinness has been made for hundreds of years. <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah, when you drink one, you can tell yourself it's good for you because that for a long time was their ad campaign. <laughs> What's the other Irish brewer? Is it Murphy's? Yeah, Murphy's. And also there's Beamish. Oh, Beamish. Beamish is the other one. So Murphy's, Guinness, and Beamish were the three Irish breweries that were dominating the stout market in the 1800s. Yeah, I think that should be really our recommendation. You know, I want to jump straight to the barrelage stuff, but yeah, <laughs> first first taste the history, appreciate the history, and then you can kind of drink some of the more modern stuff because the modern stuff does get wild. Well, I think too, uh, like I would, we should mention the 
you know the porters even if you you want to go a little bit more gateway to just the darker beers you know deschutes black bee porter excellent really choice. can't be beat uh anger porter i drank on the podcast it's very good uh and then geary's london porter is also a really cool sort of original style if you want to go back to how porters really were at the beginning that's the one that's really claiming to be authentic uh, that's from portland maine um, I don't know how easy it is to get, but it would be a very interesting beer to taste because, like I said, it's a porter, but it's in it, it's in a different vein than like these new American porters like Deschutes, Black Butte. It goes back to that sort of like harsher, it's like cheap brown malt, rounded out with the with the aging and the mixing of different strengths. So it's just a more authentic version of that. Um, early English porter. If you really wanted to go to the heart of this, <laughs> to the root of this episode and the, the deep dive of the stout, that's where you, you would find it. Totally. And then on the far end, you're going to find a lot of barrel-aged stuff with a lot of additions. Um, again, like I said, the one I'm drinking today, Cherry Bomb, but there's stuff like that everywhere. And it's really popular. They go through a little bit of trends. Like for um, a couple years ago or... I have such a loose grasp on time, but I know oyster stouts were popular again for a while, and we tried a couple of those, and I really like those. It doesn't sound necessarily like it'd be really good, but the it actually goes really well, that kind of salty. Just to clarify, um, that is a stout made with oysters, right? Like oysters are put into the beer? From what I understand, yeah. yeah. Or like at least oyster juice or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So it like adds a salinity, but it doesn't really add a whole lot of fish flavor, I think, is the point. Yeah, and those were popular. I think this couple breweries still make one, but now I feel like the adding chilies is really popular. Um, you see, you know what I want to mention is when we did the food pairing thing at the beer festival, remember the oysters, and it was paired with like a brown ale? Yes. It was incredible. Like I just wanted to keep doing that over and over again which i think i did because <laughs> i love o- oysters on the half shell well you were in heaven because they were like letting you get to you could eat as many yeah i could do as many as i want but yeah the oysters with the brown ale that like chocolatey brown ale fantastic so i can totally see that pairing yeah so that was popular i think there's a few places that still make those but yeah there's it kind of goes through cycles but right now what's popular is Mole stouts, which I actually really like. A little bit of chocolate, a little bit of um, chili. And then cherry is always a really good compliment. But you'll see a lot of vanilla and coffee. There's a lot of different flavors that lend themselves really well to um, stouts. So, right, And then, um, then you'll also see not just the flavors, but other adjuncts like in the grain bill, like rye. Mm. Which is going to add like spicy pepper flavors, uh, wheat which is going to be more for like head retention and mouthfeel. Same with oats. You'll see like smoked malts added simply just for that like smoky flavor. And then even just like sugars like maple syrup and molasses that are both going to like lighten the body and raise the ABV. They're doing tons of stuff with this style now. And it's kind of like this, the style that lends itself to that, right? Like because like we've talked about, like you already have a complexity of flavors in your base beer, and then you can just play on that with adjuncts and different grain bills and stuff. So. Yeah, it's just yeah, as a base beer, and you know that's interesting too. Like kind of we talked about like Rusty Nails, one of my favorite beers, and you know that's built off of an oat. Like it's, they just make an oatmeal stout. Is that called the first nail? The or? first nail, I think. Yeah. yeah. But then they built, they can, you can build these out by aging them and adding all these things to them. And just as a style, it just takes on a lot of flavors really well. So you could just do, you can really do a lot of fun stuff with it. Like it's interesting that there's, you know, as a base beer, it can take on like anything from vanilla and cherries all the way to like dark chocolate and chili peppers and cinnamon. So you can just take it in a lot of directions. Um, and you get a lot of complexity in combi- you know combining that with barrel aging so well just the fact too that you can go bitter right you can go harsher you can go wood whiskey coffee right or you can go sweet with it yes and add peanut butter 
or milk sugar and I, I like it's such a great like it's amazing that you can kind of go both directions because I, I don't think you can really do that with any other beer. No, I don't think so. I mean, think of like an IPA as a base beer. I mean, they have done it a little bit where you go bitter and sweet. Yeah. But I don't, but it doesn't work. I mean, in my personal (laughs) opinion, I don't think it works that well. I don't think so either. Like, they they experiment, but like, as a base beer, it just doesn't take that, the wide variety of flavors like that as well, in my opinion. And that is why I think, like, kind of that quote you brought up earlier in the episode that it's beloved by, you know, amateurs and connoisseurs alike. I just think as a as a palate or as a base beer, it's good. But then it's also a, a really uh, good thing to uh, experiment with and make all these crazy crazy beers with. So yeah, there's another good story um, about uh, the shoots Black Beat Porter, uh, where the head brewer like they would get asked, "Hey, just give me your like lightest beer." You know, a customer would ask for the lightest beer. And he would be like, okay, I'll pour you that beer. But first, let me, will you try this one? <laughs> will you try Black Butte? You know? And he said 80% of the time they'd be like, oh, that's really good. I want to just drink this, you know? Uh, so I thought that was cool. Like, it's a welcoming style. It's such a great way to get into those darker flavors with a lighter beer, like a porter. Uh, and it's just downhill from there. As you can see, I'm drinking Darkest Hour from Angry <laughs> Yes, you start and you just end. A few, just a few short weeks from drinking Angry <laughs> yeah. on this podcast, <laughs> and I'm feeling silly with my 13.5% yep. darkest hour, which is, you know, and actually another good point is that, like, drinking at the beginning and making tasting notes and all that stuff, it's super complex, amazing flavor profile. I had tons of notes. I was just sitting here scribbling. It was crazy. But then since then, as we just talk and I drink and sip it, like I'm not like I'm not playing all those flavors out in my head every time I take a sip. Now I can just like just drink it, and it's just like it's so pleasurable. Like it, it's not I'm not dissecting it every time. It's mostly just sort of that first time, but now it's like I can just enjoy it as a whole as one thing. It's a sign of a really good beer when you pay atten- close attention to it. You can you know pick it apart and see all these different nuances about it but you can also just drink it and enjoy it it's a really good beer <laughs> i'm very jealous very jealous of you right now sir but yeah i do be. wish you were drinking this with me <laughs> i have another bottle so all right when i come visit you we're cracking that that <laughs> and the uh what's the other one you got for me that's oh the atrial rubicite from jester king yeah we're gonna have a good day <laughs> <laughs> i drink those back to that amazing very cool. Do we want to add anything? I don't. I don't know if we did full justice to the style. Maybe we'll revisit this. But we did a pretty good history and evolution and. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I always just learn. I, I basically, like I said, I have imposter syndrome, so I don't really know as much as I. Well, I know I don't know as much as I know. I think I know, or I, I, anyone else thinks I know. Um, so these are the episodes that are fun because I get to learn and like if anyone listening to this podcast, like I'm just learning with you. Yeah. hundred percent. And I I learned so much just doing research for this episode and there's always someone that knows more than you and we don't really, I don't think we know that much about beer. We just really like it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So really the point of these episodes is just for us to learn about styles and appreciate them more and then hopefully just help people also do that yeah and this is like you can continuously learn forever like so you can yeah. fact check us too and do all that stuff because yeah we don't know what the hell we're talking about <laughs> it's good that you mentioned that Stephen, because you can send your hate mail <laughs> to our email yeah let them know where they can send their hate mail which is contact.attenuation at gmail.com and if even want- if it's hate mail i'll be excited to open it we like all mail. We we like attention because yeah. we don't. Yeah, we don't get a lot of emails. Any press is good press. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then on Instagram, where Steven's been taking, I think photography is your calling, sir. Unless that's your wife that's taking all those cool pictures. No, it's me, but I don't know. Attenuation podcast is our Instagram. Steven's taking some pretty cool pictures with like cereal and fruits. Yeah, I'm like trying to make little scenes. I like it. I've I've been giving it the hearts. 
whatever that, you do. That Trick's beer, by the way, was okay, but it wasn't as good as, other, as my other cereal beers. That's disappointing. That was an interesting, uh, actually, like, it was a collaboration with Weldworks, and it's it's a weird name. Anyway, each of those breweries made one, like, of their own version of a Trick's oh cool so it was like a collaboration but it wasn't like but they each had their own version and so this was the this was not weldworks version it was someone else it was the other breweries version technically and so it'd be interesting to see what weldworks version came out as because they've they i've had sours from them that are brewed with cereal and they're incredible so this one wasn't as good all right cool it'd be cool if you could somehow get all of them together and try them side by side and see who makes the best tricks beer <laughs> oh, that's the fact great. that there's even two tricks beers that was the that was the actually second tricks beer i'd had the other one was pretty good we live in interesting times yes we do there's no tricks beer in 1700 <laughs> when the border was invented <laughs> so yeah so anyways you can follow us on attenuation.podcast we have over 40 followers very famous and i think that's everything what do you think steven do we, we call this episode a wrap let's call it a wrap i'm gonna finish my beer yeah so my name is jason and i'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade steven that's me <laughs> we are going to finish our stouts and bid you adieu until Next episode, episode 20, next week. Nice. (laughs) 19 bags. (laughs) Awesome. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation, a beer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers.